ready? Yeah. I'm asking myself, am I ready? Are you ready? ready? Are you ready? Almost. Looks like you're about to do a rap battle (laughs) with your mic. Thank you. That's so kind of you. Hello and welcome to Talking Too Loud with Chris Savage. I am your host, Chris Savage. Cheers to you. And I'm joined by Sylvie Lubau, our podcast producer extraordinaire. Sylvie, how are we? We are good. We are good. We are hot. Great. It's so hot. What do you mean? It's, oh, oh, no, it's not your voice. It's temperature hot. <laughs> yeah, like yeah. actually. I was like, wow, are we actually talking too loud? No. Is that, am I peaking? I mean, Is we this are. Peaking? No, we sound good, I think. Uh, good. But I'm really, I'm really hot. I'm sorry for you, but I am happy about our guest today, Aubrey Bracco. She describes herself as a hired gun marketer, but she's a freelance marketing consultant, helps companies with social media, has helped people from the NFL to Liberty Mutual to even Wistia. She's helping Wistia, which is how we met her. She's great. Um, and she's also a three-time Survivor contestant. Blew my and mind. So, <laughs> Blew my yes. mind when I found out that fun little fact. She's blowing a lot of minds with that fact, I yep. think. People yep. keep being surprised. And uh, just very excited to have her on the show with us today talking about social media, how it's evolved, how you can get your voice out on social media in a positive way, managing all the complexity that comes with becoming famous quickly. Lots of different stuff in this episode. Crazy. There were ups, downs, all arounds. <laughs> and, before, okay. and before we <laughs> chop it up, um, what has got us talking too loud? Well, I'm pretty excited about my mobile recording setup. <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> because truly, I'm like, <laughs> I just think you're about to be, what? Like, just bust out some Eminem lyrics. I'm waiting for you to be the MC that you were born to be. Yes, yes. We don't want uh, mom spaghetti on my sweater already. Is that is that what he said? Oh my God. <laughs> okay. That's all the so, laughter that I can handle. It's all the laughter I can handle for this episode. Um, that's good. That's good. Uh, but no, I am traveling. I'm ba- I'm back on Martha's Vineyard. Um, I'm here with a ton of family, which has been really fun. Basically, my whole family here. My wife's family is in another house. It's utter chaos. Kids everywhere. I love it. And so it's good to be back here. And then I, you know, I brought my recording gear with me. So I've got this mic, this handy mic. I've got a cord. Got cords all over the place. I've got I extra love when you do cameras. All, well, yeah, when you like hold the cord as you're recording. That's like something every podcaster should do. It's the dream. Yes, it's the dream. It's the dream. I'm regretting not having like the big cans like you, you know, the giant headphones. These guys. It's, uh, you know, I just feel like I don't look legit enough. Like the AirPods. <laughs> okay. This microphone, though, legit. No, I like I like the setup visually. I okay. like it. I like Thank it. Thank you. Good. Um, Good. Something that has me talking to Loud Savage, the lottery. Huh? The mega millions is now billions. So... I was out to dinner last night with my family. Who? Who are you with? Who are you with? Mom. Paint the picture. Dad. Uncle Jay. Uncle Lewis. My sister, Malls. Uh, my boyfriend, Greg. And we're all talking about the lottery. And we're like, well, we got we to gotta buy a ton of tickets. And seven is my mm-hmm. lucky number. So I was like, all right, seven tickets, seven people. Let's go. Let's go. Seven. So I have them. July, seventh month. Okay. Yeah, oh, didn't even think of that. Mm-hmm. Um, Probably at 7 p.m. 
too much savage. You went too we're, far. Oh, you were eating early. Little like we uh, were eating later. <laughs> later. Oh, okay. Ooh, we're very European. Um, <laughs> no. <laughs> Anyhow, I'm excited to to hear the draw tomorrow. So it's tomorrow. It's and, for and tomorrow. You said it's billions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's billions. How many billions? I think one. I think it's one billion. Wow. But it's big. One billion. That's big. That's big. I know. I'm, wow. It's a big deal. Did they change the name? Is it Mega Billions now? <laughs> I don't know. I don't think so. Well, they've got to change the name. Maybe they need a marketing consultant to rebrand That's a right. little bit. They need a marketing consultant to rebrand. I was going to go the other direction. <laughs> We're talking about famous brands like Survivor, but it's fine. Uh, we have uh, all uh. the transitions we need. We have countless transitions. So let's jump into that interview with Aubrey Bracco. Aubrey, thank you for being here on the show. So excited to have you here. It is my pleasure to be here. I've been having a great time at Wistia, so it's nice to meet the Wizard of Oz behind the curtain. I've been hearing about somebody who talks too loud, so thank you for having me. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for being here. I feel like that's a reference to the fact that before we got going, I had a crazy filter on my uh, my camera that made me look like I was in the Matrix or something else. Yeah, definitely. It was very cinematic, but... True Wistia mm -hmm. style. You were doing something fun with video. So that was cool That's to see. Right. <laughs> yes. Well, um, we're very excited to have you here. As you know, this podcast is called Talking Too Loud. Why is it called Talking Too Loud? Because I cannot control the volume of my voice when I get excited. I have been that way since I was a child, a young child. My children are like that too, especially my daughter, Olympia. She is an unbelievably loud. We may hear her during this episode. But we like to start the show... <laughs> By talking about what has got our guests talking too loud these days. What's got you excited? So what, what are you talking too loud today about, Aubrey? Today, I just have something random on my mind. I'm all over reboots of things. I want original content. Uh, that's been driving me wild lately. Everything feels like a reboot. It's time for something fresh. I feel like everything's the sequel to this, the remake of that, though I'm excited yeah. about Hocus Pocus 2. So excited. I'm a little bit over reboots in general. So what about a league of their own? Are they redoing that? Doing a TV show. Wow. Yeah. With Abby, with Abby from Broad City, who I like. Okay. Hmm. I mean, all right. We found two exceptions. Two exceptions. But you want more original content. I mean, I think Jordan Peele's new movie, Nope, right, is like an original. And people are like really excited. And like, how did this, how did he do it? How is he making all this original stuff? Yeah, I have to, have I have to see that. No, I haven't. So I have something yeah. for my list. I get like tired wading through the Netflix and Hulu looking at the trailers. Everything kind of feels a little bit the same lately, but mm. I can't tell if it's because it is the same or social media is so noisy that it's hard to cut through and figure out what's original. I've noticed a funny thing where I am in my own social media loop. Like I'm mm -hmm. looking at like Instagram reels, like TikTok videos, and I'm like, think I'm off on this like thing that no one else is in. Then I'll mention to somebody else, and I'm like, oh yeah, I saw yep. that same video of the guy like, you know, <laughs> yeah. falling off the tractor into the water, and there's like a giant fish there. And it's like funny because I think even in this world that where it feels like there is an enormous amount of noise and there's all these niches and stuff, but I have a feeling that a lot of the content that's being surfaced up is like the same stuff that we're all seeing. And it's just like, doesn't feel like that, right? Like it's like back when YouTube launched and you looked at the most popular videos, it was basically all looked like the same stuff was, that was on funniest America's Funniest Home Videos. Like it totally. was like people, you know? And I feel it like was. that just always happens. It's just happening in different platforms in different ways. No, yeah, that's so interesting. I could definitely talk very loud about 
algorithms in general. So mm -hmm. if we're breaking down what we're talking about today. Like the Instagram algorithm jumped the shark in the worst way last month. Uh, you don't get as much content. There's never anything new. And I think niches are great, right? They're good for marketers. We want to make sure that we're talking to the right audience and finding out what makes people tick. But I'm with you. There's something with it feels unique, but then everybody else is getting the same video. I think that we're at like kind of a turning point with social media where the people are going to demand that these algorithms change. Like uh, I was reading something about Gen Z really likes TikTok because that algorithm will throw something new in. Uh, it's a little bit more mm -hmm. about the entertainment or messaging stuff to friends. So I'm hoping that we can start to loosen it up uh, because I don't know what's been going on my feed sometimes lately. It's a little bit, it just doesn't feel like it relates. Yeah. It's funny you say that because if you asked me two years ago what I thought of TikTok, I would have been like, that's just for Gen Z. Like It's just like dance videos and stuff. But if I go look now... There, of course, is all that stuff still on there, but yeah. there's also clips from podcasts and clips from shows and people who are making original content just for the platform and doing it to get the reach. And so it's interesting to see how quickly it's evolving. And yeah, that Facebook news is... It actually reminds me of when they got rid of the news feed. I don't know if you... Do you remember that? Yes. And it was like when they went from the normal news feed where you just saw like everything that your friends shared to the algorithmic one where you saw tons of people that you didn't know. And exactly. everyone just complained. There's this enormous <laughs> public response. And then it ended up being critical for Facebook and lots of bad ramifications come, came from it as well. Um, but it's just interesting because this moment right now and the reaction to Instagram feels so similar. It really does. And my concern too is I think that we're all so very tribal across yes. the world in the US these days. And I... Like my whole life, I always loved being a floater. And I loved growing, like in high school, I would hang out in the music building. I would play field hockey. I loved jumping from group to group and meeting new people. Like that's what gives me life is meeting new people and understanding different perspectives. And I get afraid now the way it's like so highly curated. Like we're at this point where we can't even cross the aisle to agree on something that happened in a TV show that we're tweeting about or that we post on Instagram, like what does that mean on a larger scale? It's just like all these little bubbles, people are in their own little universes. And uh, to quote Jimmy Buffett, it's it's kind of funny. That's a first, family, that is a first for this show. On Fruitcakes, <laughs> uh, his album in 1994, he had a line predicting the millennium and he said something about, we're gonna be so connected that we're all alone. And I'm like, Jimmy Buffett was a prophet. Yo, what? Because wow, it really feels that way. Yeah, that's yeah, that's very prescient. That's wild. Um, yeah. well, look, you obviously think very deeply about Jimmy Buffett and also <laughs> social media. Uh, you're a social media expert. You're a freelance marketing consultant. Can you tell us like how did you get started in this and what do you do? What's that journey been like? Sure. So the Reader's Digest is I came out of Brown University where you went, Savage. Woo! Uh, Go Bruno. Woohoo! Yeah, go Bruno. Uh, graduated in 2008. Great year to graduate and look for a job. And, Great year. Great year. Oh, yeah, you know. Uh, and my passion was journalism. I wanted to be a journalist. So I came out of school and I was a freelancer for newspapers, uh, like actual physical newspapers, the smell wow. and everything. Cool. Yeah. And right when I got my bylines, like first byline on the front page, that was like the last story they published. So that Newspapers were dying, and I knew that. Really? 
Yeah, okay. it was. I would put them to bed. I'd be like, "This is a history of the Rockingham News back in <laughs> 1976, the newspaper printer." And then it was like gone the next day. Oh no! So, so I went into uh, AOL, tried to do hyper local news, um, and Ariana Huffington actually it was called Patch.com. It's still alive. Uh, they were hyper local news sites, and I got assigned to Salem, Massachusetts, the witch city. When I was like mm. 25 years old, I would go undercover with the cops on Halloween. I would do, <laughs> the, the, yeah. And those witches are serious. Like I had some interesting. Um, Let's, not say, Let's not We're speak not ill. Let's not. We're not going to speak ill. No, they're wonderful. They're no wonderful. Hexes. But they're business owners too, so you can imagine it got a little funky. But I, mm. I got to do some like social media marketing there, marketing the product. And I was like, journalism is dying. What do I do? Community. I manage a community. I'm a community manager. So I spun that off and I, I went to an agency uh, called Mr. Youth, MRY in Manhattan. And I got assigned to Visa and the NFL campaign. So my first social media job was actually like writing tweets for Aaron Hernandez. Whoa. Yeah, it was weird. What a quick turn. That's wild. <laughs> and I mean, also exactly the right time to be getting into social media. Yeah, it was twenty it was 2012. I mean, where were you in 2012? Okay. Like, where was Wistia in 2012? Uh, we were six years in, and we were okay. probably, I'm going to say, 15-ish people. We were just starting to figure it out that year. Wow. That was an interesting time, though, in social. Like, that was the year... Oreo did the you can dunk in the dark tweet with the Super Bowl. Yes. And it was interesting yes. stuff was happening. It was that moment, I feel like, where it was like becoming legitimate in that like people thought of it like it not as like a play thing. I mean, kind of like we were talking totally. about TikTok earlier, but like people thought of social as a play thing or like, oh, you just take a picture of your lunch and you shared your lunch. Like who <laughs> Listen, wants to look at lunch? That's still like, important. You know, that's still Hashtag an noms. Im- yeah, that's yeah, important noms. to you. I understand. <laughs> but I, yeah, that was the moment that it was like, oh, wait. Like you can earn coverage directly here. This is a form of media that's yes. a collective, um, and brands have to pay attention. And I always think it's interesting, actually, even the brands that did take the risks at that moment. Like, you know, when you're talking about Oreo, like they're not a small brand. There's a, a large brand taking a huge risk at the Super Bowl, and real actually really early on a trend where all tons of normal businesses. If you start at that moment, you said, I'm going to be a social media consultant and I'm going to teach you how to use social media. They'd be like, does this make any sense? Like, it just is kind of, it was still, it's just always interesting. Like you had to hit the trend at the right time. It seems like, it seems like you really did, which is, which is awesome. Yeah. I I felt so lucky for that. I got to do Visa, the NFL and started working on national grid. And I got into like the customer service angle of it, which was so fascinating and a whole other practice. Uh, And then I went to Liberty Mutual. I went back home to... New England and started actually with Frank Emanuel, Wistian, uh, the customer service program on social media at Liberty Mutual. So that was a whole other way of seeing it, huh. like going back to phone reps and training them to pay attention not only to insurance law, but PR and people's personal info on social. And so privacy and systems. And that was wild. And then I had another experience in my life. Uh, I went and I played Survivor three times. And so that all happened in the middle of me also working for a Shark Tank startup called Cousins Maine Lobster. I worked in cannabis PR and social media marketing. (laughs) I worked with CEOs and I just, I love collecting experiences. So Liberty really was like, okay, 
you can go into customer service. Now you can just kind of learn whatever you want in marketing. It was a wild few years. <laughs> yeah, that is wild. And I, I want to get into the survivor thing in a second. But yeah. before we do that, I have a question, Please. Um, which is, Obviously, you you focused on social media earlier. You pivoted out of newspapers, paper news. Um, <laughs> paper and news. Now you've, you, paper, paper news. Uh, and now you've helped tons of companies, brands, people like figure this out. But social media is also complicated. I mean, we talk about the algorithms and the value of the algorithms. There's the downsides, you know, misinformation, disinformation, all that kind of stuff. What do you love about social media today? And what are the things that you hate about it? I will always love that it connects people. It has the capability to connect people and allow people who might not have the voice to be heard by someone that they otherwise wouldn't encounter in their life. That is the beauty of it. I mean, I can FaceTime with somebody in Morocco and hear what's going on. We can hear what's going on. For me, it's always about what are those human connections. Um, and that's what I love. It's a way of communicating stories. I've always loved stories. So it, it creates a platform for people to do it themselves and create amazing content. Um, but it has to be done responsibly. That makes sense. Yeah, that's just like very macro. <laughs> that was like a deep head big. nod. No, I, head nod moment. And I think, you know, one, just going one level deeper there, like when you talk about doing it responsibly, and we'll just focus on brands, you know, yeah. let's say you're a B2B brand, you know you have to be on social. Like, what do you think, what would be your like three most basic guidelines to give somebody who is, let's say, you know, they have a Twitter account, they have a mm -hmm. Facebook account, they have a LinkedIn account, they're not that active. They know they should be on there. They know mm -hmm. they should be sharing more. What would you tell them? The biggest thing for me that I see a lot of is social media that's a billboard. If I wanted to see billboards, I'd go to Times Square and look at the latest advertising. I think that Brands need to remember that social media is a two-way conversation. If you truly want to make sticky, engaging content and have people feel something about you, you have to do the work to hear what people in your target demo are saying on social. How are they using certain channels? What are they interested in? What are you going to give them that's new? So I think the engagement piece has to come in from the very beginning, and you have to know what makes these people tick and invite them into the conversation like a fireside chat or a living room. It can't just be something plastered up there. So I think that's really important. And the other thing that I think is fascinating is at some of these B2B companies in particular, finding those individuals that are really comfortable sharing their stories individually on behalf of the company. Companies aren't just a brand. They're made up of people. And a lot of people talk about culture, but I do feel like speaking of reboots, a lot of people are just like, oh, that's culture. Let me put it up there. But the, the beautiful thing I think about culture is it's made of individuals. So I would recommend that a company understand what different individuals stand for, how they interpret a company culture, and make sure that you're sharing the individuals together because that's what makes a company. So uh, not a billboard, two-way conversation. Realize that your company is made of people. And then finally, uh, make sure that you're paying attention to what else is going on in the larger social media schema. Don't be that company that tweets something on a day when something awful is happening. That's a one-way ticket to go and right down the drain. Realize that social media isn't as easy as hashtag noms, putting your lunch out there. When it's for a brand, you have to do it with care and you have to 
you have a responsibility to do it the right way. Awesome. Yeah. Um, okay. So now we're going to go hard pivot back. Okay. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so you've been working with us at Wistia. We've loved working with you. And the other day I'm talking to Sylvie and Sylvie's like, <laughs> hey, um, you know, Aubrey and I've been talking, blah, blah, blah. Like maybe she can come on the show. And I'm like, yeah, that'd be great. That'd be awesome. Like, you know, there's a lot to learn. There's a lot to go deep on here. We're talking about this stuff. And then she's like, also, yeah, did you know she was on Survivor? And I'm like, what are you talking about? Um, no, she wasn't. And she's like, yes, yes, she was. <laughs> and I'm, I'm sorry I'm doing this story with you here, Sylvie. <laughs> and then I realize during COVID at one point when many of the days I was home alone, I got vertigo. Oof. I like turned my head and I would like lose my mind and like, you know, it was super nauseous. It was terrible Oof. until I figured out the, uh, there's this maneuver called the Epley maneuver for anyone out there who ever has vertigo. There's crystals that are loose in your ear. You get them in the back in the right spot and it fixes it. In any case, you can look it online and I, I did it and it worked, but um, I couldn't do anything and I couldn't work. And I was just sitting there and I'm Oof. like, what should I do? And I'm like, you know, when I was in high school, if I had a, a, a sick day, I'd watch Survivor. That's what I'd do. <laughs> and I started watching Survivor and I got re-addicted to Survivor. And so then when I realized that you are Aubrey from Survivor, lost my mind. Absolutely lost my mind. Um, you've been on three seasons, two of which I've seen. Oh, no. What ones have you seen? What ones have you seen? I don't know that I've seen your favorite ones. I've seen... <laughs> I haven't seen <laughs> I've watched part of season 32, but I've seen the other two. Game Changers and the, what's the <sighs> other one? Edge of Extinction. <laughs> Edge of Extinction. Yeah, that was a delight. So I, I think oh. like you're just obviously, you know this, but you're in this unique spot of yeah. you helped all these brands and these companies, you know, figure out how to get their message out in the world, how to be part of like the conversation that, that's going on. Then you end up on Survivor, which I want to hear like how you got on there and like what you think about it. <laughs> but also like you become part of the conversation. That doesn't usually happen. Yeah. You know, you're helping people plan from yep. the side and then you're and then you're just deeply in it. I would imagine there's probably times when you can't control it at all. And so what was that experience like? Sorry for this long intro to this. No, but like, what <laughs> please, was, thank what you. Was the experience I appreciate like it. from being like going from helping people build their brands to basically being a brand. Yeah, it's interesting. That's why I when I was talking about my work uh, background, I kind of consider Survivor like this odd work because I kind of had to be the CMO of myself. Uh, wow. How do I, what was it like going from working on a brand to doing it for myself? Well, there's this really odd thing when you're on Survivor, you're gone for seven weeks and they take away your phone. You do not have a phone. You have the coconut telegraph, I guess, and whispers at the water well, <laughs> but you don't have a phone and you get all these beautiful gifts of like, wow, when I'm not on the screen, like, this is the way I should live. I'm going to go to Maine. I'm in a homestead. This is my life. And you get back and they hand you the phone and you're like, what is this? I, it feels foreign. And then there's a period where you wait and your show isn't on. So you're like, this is still great. I'm in the euphoria of living outside. And then all of a sudden the show is announced and everybody has an opinion about you that feels to them. If, feels when you're receiving it, like it's locked in concrete, you can't change it. But then an episode airs and something else happens on the show and you basically log on and you get thousands of people telling you who you are, what you are, why you did it every day. I would always say on Survivor that like perception is reality. Like what people think of you is whether you stay or you go home. 
And I would often say it was like walking into a house of mirrors. You're looking back at all these versions of yourself. And people are telling you what you are and how they see you. But on social media, you come home, you're like, I got food, everything's good. But you go on Twitter and you're like, oh my gosh, there's all these reflections of pieces of me that people think are real coming back. And then I make an action and they disagree. And then you've got all the armchair quarterbacks telling you what's happening. And then you get people who love you and then people who hate you. It is very destabilizing. It's very confusing to say, I just went to do the show that I loved. I learned that I love to be outside, but there's this whole other world that they don't tell you in the fine print. And a lot of people will tell you when you're a contestant, and I understand you signed up for this. No one can ever prepare any human being for that amount of input. Like, I think there was a Vanity Fair article with Anne Hathaway where she talked about the hate that she got, like, early in the 2010s. And she talked about how human beings are not built physically to take in that much input about who they are from other people. So that is very rambly, very philosophical, but it's a topic I think about a lot. It's, it's hard to, like, capture. It's very... Like, who am I? It seems super hard. Yeah. It's like, uh, yeah. It's like, because also to tell the story inherently, you don't have all the footage. You don't have exactly the the right story. You don't know what people are thinking in their heads. And so you have to put it together, which means you're creating narratives um, that sometimes exist and probably sometimes don't. Um, And that also creates the drama, right? Like, if it's everyone's just uh, aligned and they have their plans and we know who we're voting off, that doesn't, that's not an interesting episode. But if we're questioning and we're reworking, you know, why this alliance might falter or we're showing behind the scenes of something, um, you know, of two people having like a bad interaction. And there's so that all of that in the editing obviously changes the narrative. And it's interesting to see it as someone who, you know, I think a lot of people would wish to be in that situation. Yes. Obviously, they have a huge amount of people who apply. Um, and I mean, you went on three times, so it must not have been there must be something good about it. What was good about it that made you go back? Well, I do have to say, you said something about um, earlier about how you could like you get addicted to watching Survivor when you didn't feel well as a kid that you would you would watch Mm -hmm. it. Survivor's a drug, absolutely. It is the hardest drug that I have experienced in my life. There's nothing like figuring out what you have, putting it all on the line, not eating, living with people that are in all different states of their own. And I just love challenging myself to a degree where it can be unhealthy. I wanted to challenge myself. I loved it in that way. And I loved the show. I grew up watching it. So I wanted to challenge myself, but you, you are right. Like no one will tell you, like, you know, you're watching 43 minutes on TV, but that's three days of a group of people's lives. Sometimes 18 of them, sometimes on three separate tribes and what you don't see are, you don't see everything people say, but you also don't see the silences. You don't see who's sleeping next to who in the shelter and what that means. You're not seeing the unsaid things. Or if someone has a bad day, like there are days you just wake up and be crying because you're so exhausted. Social media and people's narratives of the narrative they're seeing, they're not getting the full picture of what it was like to be in a particular time and place. So... I To answer your question, uh, going in a circle there, I went back because I loved being in that time and place. Those 111 days that I spent on Survivor were some of the best in my life. The time spent on social media 
were not always some of the best of my life. Yeah, that's that's some heavy stuff. And I, I think also interesting <laughs> in there. It is. It's well, it's heavy. I mean, I think yeah. it's such a unique experience to go through that. Um, have you ever heard this this thing that's like the game of the internet is one person is the most important person every day on the internet and the goal is not to be that person? No. And so basically it's like we, everyone's mind, the collective is constantly looking for something to focus on. There's always something that bubbles to the top. And then if you, it's usually a person. And the one thing you don't want is to be that person at the top. And like, can you also just for people who don't watch Survivor, I mean, there's how many seasons have there been? Like the, the fan base 42. seems like so committed to this show. It's they wild. Are. Um, it's just like this incredibly fanatical base of people too. So I imagine that like in terms of like testing your resolve of like the stuff you're going to see, you backstab one person or it looked like you backstab one person or you didn't backstab them, but it made, you know, they was edited to make it feel like that. And it's the wrong person. It seems like that ripple effect can be so huge on the negative. And then you also said, that, you know, on the other side, like, or an arc can come out and you're the best person ever. Yes. And I imagine it can also be unbelievably positive. You nailed it. I, I, that is so interesting about being that one person on the internet. I haven't heard that. But I have been the underdog, and America loves an underdog so much. But yeah. when you reach yeah. the top and you are that one person, as soon as you get there, I think that we have to look at ourselves as a culture and realize that we do like tearing people down too. And I really feel like it swings both ways. And to your point about, yeah, if you vote out the wrong person and that person is America's favorite and you didn't know it, good luck to you. Yep. <laughs> it's, it's tough. And so did this, when you came back from your first season, you yes. have that experience. Yep. And you're like, I love the outdoors. I love the challenge. Like, I'm a badass. This is sick. And then the social media start, the episodes come out, social media is going, did you just basically want to run away from social media at that point? Or what was your reaction? So I was very lucky my first season. I was I got to narrate a lot of the season. Um, we had three medevacs on my season. Uh, I became a character because I had a panic attack on the first episode. And then I won't spoil it for Sylvie because she's still watching. I have but binged. I, I Just so you know, I have <laughs> binged. I'm on the last episode. Uh, two days. Two days. I'm so in it. Good job, Sylvie. I Thank feel, you. Yeah, Best TV watcher in town. Oh, you no. get to see my MRSA infection and panic attack. They made fun of me at camp for being afraid of having staph infections. That's very so, responsible of you, though. There you go. I appreciate it. It's serious. <laughs> but back to keep going, please. Yeah, it, it, it was fun the first time. It was so fun. And then got to the end and I had a lot of support. It was very controversial. And then the interesting thing was... I think it was two weeks after the finale, or not even, it may have been a week, I was off to film Survivor again. So I missed the oh, whole wow. upheaval that happened. Oh, wow. And then I came back and it was still going and there was controversy with me and someone else in my season that quite frankly, I'd been friends with, but there were a lot of comparisons and it was like, I'd missed, I mean, when you go on Survivor, you miss major things like the Pulse nightclub shooting, Anthony Bourdain died. Like I'd come back and it's yeah. like, there's a gap. There's also a gap in what people have been talking about you. So I've been having all this yeah. fun. I came home. I was like, what happened? Did I miss anything? 
But I wasn't in that conversation. So there was a controversy. I really try not to spoil you, Sylvie, here. There was a controversy at the end, and people talked about it a lot, very passionately. And I was gone, so I missed it. And then I also had, like, no say in my own experience. And I felt that for a few years with it. You relinquish, I feel this way. I did this. It doesn't matter what I say. It's whatever the internet wants to reflect back at me that day. So... It was really fun. And then I came back from filming again and it was like, oh, I don't have any say anymore. And when you made the call to go in the second season, was your season, it must have still been going, right? Like the final episodes had not come out. It just started. So I didn't even have the full experience. Like mm. when you go on Survivor, you do not have the full experience until it's the finale. It's two weeks later and you realize, oh, this amazing roller coaster, best thing of my life is over. Now what? That's the full experience from going into casting to realizing and processing that it's done. So I was just like all excited. Hey, I got to be on Survivor. It's on the air. And now I'm going again. But it was like, it was just chaos, total whirlwind. Like life was wild. Would you do it again? I would not do it again. No. Okay. Okay. Emphatically, I, I can't. You mentally go through a lot. You physically go through a lot. I lost 18 pounds two times, 25 pounds the last time. That has some repercussions. Yeah. And then when you get home and you're like, oh, I can't pee outside in public. I have to like check myself on that. Or when you start being in like friendships and you're like, is this person trying to vote me out? Like you have to like deprogram yourself to a degree. It takes a bit. Yeah, that's, I mean, it's watching it as an intense experience. Yeah, what's it like for exactly you watching it? it? Yeah, what's it like? I mean, what I, do you like about it? I want to know. Yeah, so I would say for me, what I like about the show is it fundamentally is about human relationships. So it's like, how do these people seem like they're getting along? Does it feel like the connections are real or not? Which you're trying to guess. Um, I love competition of all kinds. So I love that. And then I love watching the edits and trying to guess who's going to win based on like, um, you can't vote someone off who hasn't been on the show. It doesn't matter. So every episode, uh, whenever they start featuring people, I'm trying, uh, like many people, but I'm like trying to figure out who will be voted off at the, from the very beginning based on like right. who they're featuring. You said the same Edging. thing about the the great British Bake Off. Yeah. That's your strategy. It's called, yes. is it Edgic? Is that what you call it? it they, the Survivor fans call it Edgic. It's like you are invisible too. You were neutral, chaotic. You were over the top five, red, negative. Like mm, there's a whole like system. Like a point system. That makes perfect sense. Of course. Yes. That, of course there's a the system that exists. I had no idea the system exists. <laughs> um, yeah, I think it's those things that like make it like a fun fun thing to watch. Um, but I, I feel like I'm constantly aware of, you know, Wistia, we're putting a message out to the world. There's my perception of like who I am as a leader. And obviously, we're trying to cherry pick the best stuff. And there's bad stuff, too, that sometimes goes out there. But you're ultimately like, we exist in the mind of our customer. And you're talking about existing in the mind of the audience. And so what's the narrative that's out there? And there's a whole bunch of stuff we can't share. Like, There's a bunch of stuff that goes wrong. There's a bunch of stuff that involves real people. There's a bunch of really complicated decisions that are made. And yet, people want to judge you on those simple things. Like, I'll give you an example. We launched a feature recently mostly incredibly positive feedback. One piece of really negative feedback I was surprised yeah. someone wrote because their yeah. name was attached to it. And it was basically like, why are you so late to the party on this thing? And like, they don't know all the stuff. They don't know the reasons. They don't know like when this came out or what worked about it and what didn't. And like, they don't know the decisions of the people and the other stuff. 
And yeah, you have to respond to somebody who doesn't have full knowledge. And I feel mm. like that's a that's a tough position to be in, but mm. manageable because we are a company. We just get to keep to saying the same messages over and over, and we get to like actually market and stuff. And I think a lot about that for anyone who's on any reality show who basically has given up control over their image, which is what you're talking about, and how that's like it's kind of the lottery, right? Like you could win the thing and be a villain, you could lose and be the sweetheart of America. It seems like a also hard when the actual doing same thing with Wistia, I love so much. Like it's my favorite thing is to build the company. And it sounds like your favorite thing is to go through this experience. Um, and yet like those, those things are separate, like your experience and the world's experience are separate things. Yeah, absolutely. And you talking about that one comment, like I can relate to that. People could say all the nice things that day and I, I'm stuck on that comment or, yeah, it's just so hard to feel like you made a decision in a time and place, you did the best you could, and that's taken away from you, it feels like, in some ways. And the thing is, I do feel like, I do think that people have good intentions. I, I would like that. And I'm talking about the internet at large, but I do think that the internet brings out hypocrisy. A lot of people are just going to say what they think, but are you asking the next question? Why? Have you, if you're talking about somebody and you have an opinion... Have you asked Aubrey why? Like, I was just like at a loss where I'm like, is anyone going to ask me what I think about this? There's one more Reddit thread about this topic. Have you considered asking me why I made that decision? Uh, it's yeah. Yeah. Did that person in that one comment address you specifically or just throw it out there? I'm just really curious. Um, in this case, they addressed somebody else. They like questioned someone else's positivity. They're like, why mm. do you think this is so great? Like, these are all the reasons it's not yeah. great. And to your point, hundreds of great comments. And the one negative one is the one I'm focusing on. So I, I have a lot of empathy, just like I can't even imagine the yeah. situation, what it felt like for you to go through that. Um, I'm also wondering, you know, as we're talking about controlling the narrative, and you've had to do this firsthand, and then you've also had to help brands do it. Yeah. Like, what, what's your advice for anybody dealing with a crisis or not even dealing with a crisis, dealing with like neg negativity? Like, how do you navigate around it? Whew. That's a good question. It really does depend, I think, on the topic, on the pulse. Like, I'm a big person about energy. What's the energy in the room? Where is it going? That kind of thing. I Something I always like to say is, like, I do believe vulnerability. If it's vulnerability that feels comfortable to you and is within your boundaries that you feel comfortable with, can be very helpful when you have a crisis. Like, how much am I willing to share? Like, knowing when things are calm how much you're willing to tell people can really help you when the heat gets turned up and you're asked hard questions or deciding how much you want to tell people. So I'd say have your line of how vulnerable you're willing to be set before you hit a crisis because people want to know the truth, right? Like people are going to know if you have a crisis and you're just kind of, you have a fake apology if an apology is needed. I think that you have to realize how much of a human you want to be publicly when something happens. So it's gauging the social media mob is is it worth addressing it head on should you ask for space like it's hard it's it's hard i mean i'll say i made a mistake personally i was not happy at the end of my season and i probably spoke before i'd given myself the time myself enough time to process so brands sometimes need to move swiftly but i would encourage you to think about the long-term repercussions of what you're saying it's not always obvious in the moment. I think that's great advice. That can be hard advice to take. 
But I think that's really, really solid advice. And like, if you're in a situation, you know, our listeners are entrepreneurs and investors and marketers and a lot of people who are trying to build brands. And there's always something that happens and it's usually unexpected, right? Like that's why it's (laughs) tough. Um, And how you respond to that also being willing to take the beat or it sounds like you're even saying, telling people, hey, we need a beat and we're going to, and then we're going to respond versus like, just like going with that first gut instinct. Yeah, it's not always it's not always the gut instinct. I also think it's important to do the work to understand who at your company is going to speak to certain things. Like there is value in, ah, oh, um, Savage only comes out if this is happening. Like you have to have a plan. I think if we're talking about executives and executive level, I think it really benefits you to have a plan of who's going to speak to certain things so that there is that uh, feeling of authenticity or we are trying to give you as much information as possible. I think that's that's important too, to know who's best suited to speak or who, if they speak on a, like there are sometimes in a company where there's a leader who's going to speak, but that is never going to land right with the audience because this leader posted all this other stuff where the audience might feel like that person's not in touch with their needs. So it's complicated. And that's why I'm a big believer in Brand voice is an interesting thing. It takes time. You can't just reboot some. Not everyone can be Gary V. I'm sorry. It's just true. Every leader wants to be Gary V. I've heard it so many times. I'm sorry if you love Gary V. But who are you? How do you speak? When are you silent on something? When do you speak? What are you willing to share about your roots and how you got to where you are? When you're a CEO, you have a lot going on, right? If you can take the time to like slow down and like really think about these questions, it just creates a more, uh, I hate saying the word authentic, a more real uh, connection with uh, your audience. Yeah, that's awesome. I'm going to share a story of something that like, I think is like an example of that, that we experienced that was very much about like, how do you get the tone right? And this was six years ago, we made a pricing change. Um, And the pricing change was changing prices for existing customers. Bunch of customers were paying the same, some were paying less, some were paying more. Yes. But we felt like we were solving a problem, a mistake that had been made basically in our old pricing model. <laughs> and so we felt bad that we were doing this change. And we made videos for the customers' accounts um, who were being affected. And my co-founder Brent and I were in the videos and we're like, hello, this is Chris. This is Chris. <laughs> He's like, this is Brendan. And we have we have to inform you that this change is happening. And you know, it was this very like we were f- kind of feeling bad and feeling sad, but we knew we should communicate in a video. We knew we should put it in their accounts. We knew we should explain it. That was all like Wistia brand voice like tone. And we did a test before we did it to everybody. Yeah. And we sent it to like 600 customers or something. And um, the feedback was like, we completely get that you would need to make a pricing change. But my God, like this doesn't feel like Wistia at all. Like it's not funny. It's not inspiring. Like Mm -hmm. it doesn't, it's not creative. Like it's just, you guys are just down in the dumps. And it was this funny moment of like, hmm, wait a second. We should be excited about the pricing change. (laughs) Of course we should. It's the right thing for the company to be excited because fixing the mistake means we can serve customers better and we can scale better. The product will get better. We'll hire more people, all this like kind of stuff. And so we switched it and we made it this like really fun thing. And the tone was completely different. And we got basically no negative response whatsoever to the pricing change. Wow. Changed prices for over 10,000 paying customers at that time. 
Um, and it was all positive. It was like positive social media stuff. Like, oh, this is how you do it. This is the Wistia way. And it was just this funny thing of like, it was basically the same message, but the tone yep. and the voice was incorrect. And the response was, this, this isn't why I work with you. Like, this isn't why I engage with you. And I just think it's interesting to your point of like, showing through who you are as a person, what your values are, and being clear on what the subject you can talk on. Yes. It actually happens. Like it actually, and it can happen, you know, with one person's comment on social media, it can happen in a video, it can happen in the text, but it's it's easy to get it yes. wrong when it's like, feels like a moment of crisis or something bad's happening. Yes. Yeah. I think you said it beautifully. And it's, that's an instance when perception is reality works in your favor, right? taking a beat, like, good thing you tested it with those 600 people, because that's the other thing Woo! with all this social media um, buzz, and it can be so loud, it can be hard to know. What are they actually saying? Yeah, I, I totally agree. There's a lot of, like, do not be a victim of your own navel gazing. It's you never do it with the wrong intentions. But I mean, I did learn on Survivor, sometimes just be quiet and let it let it ride. Uh, you have to know when to speak up and when not to. That's great advice. Um, okay. I could just keep asking questions for a very long time, but we have to wrap up soon. So I think your advantage, we talked about that. We barely even talked about Survivor, for God's sakes. We barely got into it. I love that. It, but, um, it's all good. It's all good. We talked about the human emotion at the core of this stuff, right? Like what drives what people engage with, what they care about. Mm -hmm. You know, how are the algorithms working? Who's the, the most, you know, yep. famous person that day? Um, <laughs> but when you think today about social media, what is the biggest opportunity that you think that most people, most brands, most people are actually not taking advantage of yet? Like if if you don't give away all the secrets, but if, if you're sitting down <laughs> with somebody and you're thinking like, this is the obvious thing to do. This is the thing to care about. This is the approach to take. What would you say to somebody given what we know about where the world is today? Don't take for granted your community. The people that are driving the pulse of TikTok Speaking specifically about TikTok are those content creators. Like the world has changed. Like in 2024, cookies are going away. Google just bumped it back. Um, and first party data is going to be more important than ever that you know your community. It really feels like it's going back to those times of 2010 to 2012. Figure out how to give your community the power and harness it in a way that works for your company. So what I would say is Spend less time in the boardroom talking about what you are and how you'll connect with your audience and look to them to help you figure out what they want. And I think that's on TikTok. And I actually love LinkedIn. It's like two ends of the spectrum. I see the best stuff happening on LinkedIn and TikTok right now. Um, the kinds of stories being told, the kind of content and creativity being shared, I feel like Sorry, Mark Zuckerberg. I think it's it's time. He actually went to my high school, which is really weird. And we had something called the Facebook. That was everybody's name, phone number, and address. It's time to put the Facebook away. I think storytelling is on TikTok and LinkedIn. And you just have to listen to what people are saying and really solicit feedback and harness it. And then insert, the value of your company comes with knowing the pulse of your community, what they want. And figuring out where you fit in that conversation in a comfortable and organic way. Love that. That is great advice for everybody. I think Mark does listen to the podcast, so he'll he'll probably reach out after he uh, Sorry. 
Do you hear that? Yeah, don't worry. It's okay. Um, <laughs> Aubrey, how can people connect with you? How can they learn more? So Survivor fans that have something nice to say can come to Aubrey at A-U-B-R-Y-B-R-A-C-C-O. Um, that's my handle on, on Twitter. If you have negative comments about Survivor, no, I'm kidding. Um, you can put them in the trash. Yeah, in the trash. <laughs> yeah, you can, it, Aubrey Bracco on uh, Twitter and on TikTok. I have my own little rock hounding and rock polishing channel called Don't Touch My Rocks. So at Don't <laughs> Touch My Rocks on TikTok. Wow. Yep. I can't believe we're just hearing about this now. Yeah. I've been polishing them. They're just sitting here. Let's see. What do we got? Whoa. This is part of a thunder egg. We got some petrified wood. And then do you, do you, do you sell them on a Shopify store? What do you do then? No, I or should. just keep them around. So I just started yeah. polishing them like for jewelry. It's called a cabochon. That's an agate. Yeah. That one's They're nice. fun. Cool. They're fun. So yeah, it's my other life. Thank you so much for being here, Aubrey. This is super fun um, and excited to work with you more on stuff. Thank you. And don't let that one negative comment get you down. Uh, and it's it's great to be here. It's great to work at Wistia right now where you are really thinking about what's an audience? What do people want? How do we think about usability and how we can make marketers' lives easier? It's been really cool to see the thought and care that goes behind that. So I think you're onto something really cool. Awesome. And it's an honor to be here. So thank you. Thank you. It's not every day that you're talking with someone who I feel like has lived through what she has lived through, right? Like, we don't talk about the other side of this stuff of like, oh, you get really famous suddenly and then you lose complete control over your image. Right. Um, or you love the process yeah. and it's kind of scary what the outcome could be. Um, and she also, as you know from season 32, season 32 Survivor available on Paramount Plus right now. Hulu too. Oh, also on Hulu. Um, is uh, that like, you know, as she said, and as you, as you watch the season, like she's a beloved character and, you know, had all the best version of that stuff happen. And uh, I just find it so interesting to think about like someone who already worked with brands, became this hyper brand, and then took that lesson and then goes back. And now, now that you know what can happen, what can be great and what can be hard, what can suck, like how do you take it and apply it to your own? business yeah. or someone else's business. Yeah. I mean, I honestly can't imagine kind of coming back from being at the center of like a lot of social media scrutiny and being like, yeah, I still want to play in the sandbox. But I think it's, yeah. I think it's really a testament to her character that she's like, she's still into social media and like her big thing is use it responsibly. Like use it to make good stuff and like say good stuff. And yeah, it's it's also like talking to her, I was thinking about like as an audience member, like I definitely have a lot of opinions about the reality TV that I watch, especially game shows. You start shows. to share them. Yeah. <laughs> you start to share them very actively. But I don't I don't I don't talk about it on social media. I keep it nice on social. I'll say more things like if there's a guest host, like, oh, love the guest hosting or like, I don't even That's know. That's the I mean. kind of stuff you do on social media. That's your <laughs> driving. 
just really positive stuff. And like, you know, <laughs> self-loathing stuff. Yeah. So you see someone guest hosting like uh, Jimmy Kimmel. Yeah. Like Sean Hayes was guest hosting. Sean, great job. Great job. Great job up there. Great That's job, it. Sean. Yeah. That's nice. You That's nailed really positive. It. Yeah. I thought it was cool when she was talking about the relationship between a person or a brand in their community and like figuring out what your community wants and giving them what they want yeah, and trying to match that between like, what is my community asking for? What are they asking for, for me from like a tone perspective, from an entertainment perspective, from a content perspective, from a product perspective. And then how do you actually deliver on that in your unique way? Right? Like she said, everyone wants to be Gary V, but no one else can be Gary V. It's not going to work. Like replicating him will never work as like a personal brand strategy because he already owns that space. Right. Like what's only going to work is like actually being unique and and being the version of yourself that makes sense to share with the community that's looking for that. Totally. Version. And you know, like she also said like get out of the boardroom. Like you're not going to know what your community wants, you know, amongst a group of like three people like doing is, does this have a name? <laughs> Plotting. Hand plotting. Plotting fingers. <laughs> plotting fingers. And that's usually what it looks like in the boardroom. I can it tell does. You. It in always there. looks yeah, like. Yeah, there's a lot of, hmm, interesting. Picky in the brain <laughs> style. Yeah. No, but like I, I appreciated that it was like, I think it goes back to something she said early on, which is that it's like a dialogue. It's a two-way street. So like be prepared to ask questions. Be prepared to like, like you guys did with the trial and error, like we're going to test this video and customers were like, nah, you got the message right, but the tone is wrong. You had to recalibrate. I liked yeah. it. I mean, it's like, I, you've said this before, like some of the lessons I feel like that come out of this show feel obvious, like in hindsight, but then during the day to day, you can see how easy it is to lose sight of them, you know? Yeah, I think that's exactly right. Like a lot of the stuff is simple and it does not seem remarkable, right? Yeah. Like the stuff we're talking about seems like it should be easy to do, but when you're really stressed, right? people are yelling at you or you've run out of time to launch a thing you want to do the right way or something bad happened um, and you're like, your instinct is not to share or what, what have you that's when those lessons like matter the most, right? Is like in that stressful, crazy moment. And and you have to internalize it before that moment or that's when stuff really goes awry. And the truth is, it's funny, I've said this before, but you know, <laughs> there's just crazy stuff that happens all the time. When you have enough people, wild stuff happens. Things work, things don't work, things break, um, new things pop up. And I just think like getting your tone right, getting your voice right, and figure out how to actually communicate with your community and let them guide you like that is it that's that's it baby but like it's actually doing it is hard it is hard yeah whether you're an individual or a brand being thoughtful like a lot there's a lot sort of hinging on you being thoughtful how you're being thoughtful does that make sense you're nodding yes totally that makes sense <laughs> But I think it's being thoughtful so in the moment you have the right response. Yeah, exactly. You have to like practice thoughtfulness. Yes. Well, we've cracked the case wide open here. We've wide open. That's what we do on Talking Too Loud. Crack the cases open. 
<laughs> um, and if you want to hear more, don't forget to like and subscribe wherever you like and subscribe to Talking Too Loud. We're on every platform where you listen to podcasts, where you watch podcasts, whether you watch them on Wista.com or you watch them on YouTube or soon Spotify and all these places you can find us. Um, and of course, if you have feedback for the show, we'd love to hear it. TTLpod at Wista.com. Rate and review us. You know, a couple five stars goes a long way. Helps get the word out there. I love it. And uh, we hope you have a great day. Stay cool out there. Stay cool. Talking Too Loud is brought to you by Wistia. Hosted by Chris Savage. Produced by me, Sylvie Lubau, along with Adam Day. Executive produced by Wistia Studios. This episode was mixed by Maria Passingham of Edit Audio. Listen to Talking Too Loud wherever you listen to podcasts. And hey, rate and review us wherever you listen. And check out more content from Wistia Studios at wistia.com.